look, you don't know me from Adam, but I was a better man with you as a woman than I ever was with a woman as a man. You know what I mean? I just got to learn to do it without the dress. Success has many fathers, while failure is the neglected child. In which case, it should come as no surprise that Tootsie, the 1982 smash hit comedy starring Dustin Hoffman, Jessica Lange and an uncredited Bill Murray, is a movie for which a lot of people claim credit. For instance, Dustin Hoffman has stated that he came up with the idea while working on the divorce drama Kramer vs. Kramer. In that movie, for which Hoffman won the Oscar for Best Actor in 1979, he played Ted Kramer, a workaholic advertising executive whose wife, Joanna, played by Meryl Streep, walks out on their 10-year marriage, leaving Ted to raise their child, Billy. Over the course of the next year, Ted fights and bonds with his son in a way he had never done before. And when it comes to the court case to decide who gets custody, Hoffman said that in preparing for those final scenes, he orientated himself into the roles of both Billy's father and mother. In those moments, he began thinking about how to play a man and a woman. Thanks for coming by. Porsche 285, do you want camera one or two on that? Camera two and tell Art about that. Why am I not right, Mr. Carlisle? Well, I'm just uh, trying to make a certain statement here and I'm, I'm looking for a very specific physical type. Mr. Carlisle, I'm an actress. I'm a character actress. I can play this part any way you want. Honey, I'm sure that you're Why don't a very, you give me very an idea good actress. It's just for? that you're a little bit too soft what? and genteel. You're not threatening enough. Not threatening enough? How's this? You take your hands off me, or I'm going to meet your balls right through the roof of your mouth. Is that enough of a threat? To start? Yes, I think I know what y'all really want. You want some gross caricature of a woman to prove some idiotic point, like, like power makes women masculine or masculine women are ugly. Well, shame on the woman that lets you do that, on any woman that lets you do that. And that means you, dear, Miss Marshall. Shame on you, you macho shithead. Once the movie was done, Hoffman turned his attention to that idea and engaged the services of several screenwriters in bringing it to the screen. However, if you listen to one of the film's credited screenwriters, I say credited because depending on the accounts you reference, anything up to 20 scribes worked on the project at various times, you will hear a very different account. Interviewed before he died four years ago, Larry Gelbert admitted that he had been carrying a long-standing grudge against Hoffman for claims the star had made. And it wasn't for the claim I just told you. Gelbert was a phenomenally productive writer whose career dated back to the 1940s when he started writing jokes for Bob Hope before going on to work with Mel Brooks, Carl Reiner, Neil Simon and Woody Allen. Then in 1972, Gelbert helped create one of the most successful American TV shows of all time. And as if that were not enough, Gelbert had also written the long-running Broadway hit musical A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. Now I mention all that because it's hardly as if Gelbert had never experienced success and was grasping at a share in the limelight. No, in that interview, which you can access online on Salon.com, Gelbert said that Hoffman had told another story as to who came up with the idea. Elsewhere, on the TV show Inside the Actor's Studio, where James Lipton interviews well-known actors, 
Hoffman declared it was his friend, writer-producer Murray Shiskel, who had conceived of the story. To which Gelbert belatedly retorted that Tootsie was his vision. The central theme of Tootsie, he said, came from me. And the central theme was that Dustin's character, Michael Dorsey, would become a better man for having been a woman. That was the cornerstone of the film, and all the other details are just floating around that idea. I got to get up at 4.30, do a close shave. I already called the studio and told them that I got to do my own makeup because I have an allergy. Mike, I really appreciate you're doing this, but it is just for the money, isn't it? It's not just so you can wear these little outfits. I'm not even going to answer that. It also happens to be it's one of the great acting challenges an actor could have. <sighs> you know what my real problem is, though? Cramps. No, not cramps. Sandy. Sandy. I'm only going to tell her they cast a man instead of her. She gets suicidal at a birthday party. Now, I said that the film had many uncredited screenwriters. They include Elaine May, who has earned Oscar nominations for writing Heaven Can Wait and Primary Colours, Barry Levinson, who in 1989 would direct Dustin Hoffman in Rain Man, and Robert Garland, who went on to pen No Way Out and The Hunt for Red October. But if you look closely at the opening credits to Tootsie, you will see the name Don McGuire. And upon considerable and very careful consideration, it is Maguire to whom the credit should be owed. In her book, Making Tootsie, Susan Dworkin scrupulously details the origins and developments of the story and reveals that the original seed for Tootsie was a screenplay titled Would I Lie to You, written by Maguire. Born in Chicago in 1919, Maguire went to Hollywood in the 40s, where he moved about from journalism to press agenting, to acting. Then in the 50s, he began scripting, his most famous credit being Bad Day at Black Rock, starring Spencer Tracy. By the late 70s, Maguire was writing his script, Would I Lie to You? And it somehow wended its way to Buddy Hackett, a comedian and actor who was most famous for his frequent guest appearances on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. The guy says, what happened with your sister? He says, well, my sister's in the army. He's all in a whack. No, in a regular army. He said, what do you mean in a regular army? How could your sister be in a regular army? He said, well, you know, she puts her hair up under the hat and uh, she straps herself down and she wears men's clothes. He said, what? At night, she got to take them clothes off, take the hat off, they see the long hair, they'll see the way she's built, they go in the shower together. He says, someone's going to find out. He says, yeah, but who's going to tell? <laughs> Hackett read it, liked it, and thought it would make a good movie so he showed it to his friend, Charles Evans, who just so happened to be the brother of Robert Evans, the former head of production at Paramount Pictures, who had, in his time, been responsible, in some form or other, for such landmark films as Rosemary's Baby, The Godfather, and Chinatown. Evans liked the script, but thought it would be best to bring in another writer, Bob Kaufman. Why? Because Evans thought the idea was so good, it needed improving. Kaufman was a prolific writer of comedy, known mostly for his television work, but who had nonetheless earned an Oscar nomination for the 1968 sex farce, Divorce American Style. It was then, after Kaufman rewrote the script, that the story eventually landed on Dustin Hoffman's desk. And it was Hoffman who then brought in Gelbert and May and Schiskel and Levinson. Why? Because Hoffman knew the idea was so good it needed improving. He fought and argued and fired and hired a host of writers 
to polish and hone and sharpen the script until it sparkles like a diamond. You cannot believe the night I have had tonight. I think I could imagine. Oh, no, you can't. I saw the look in his eyes. I was in big trouble. If you don't come in, I'm in the Daily News the next morning. How did you ever let him in here? What do you mean, how did I let him in here? Yeah, he was singing. Is he that good a singer? What do you mean? It's him, it's him. Tell him I'm in the bedroom. I don't let him in. Marco. It's Sandy. It's Sandy. It's Sandy. It's Sandy. I can't ever see me like this. I hear you in there. As if that were not enough, the project went through no less than three directors. Hal Ashby and Dick Richards eventually walking away. But it was when the script went into production under the guidance of Sidney Pollock that the cat fur really began to fly. If, the, if this is the story of a guy who becomes a better man for having been a woman, then we have to pick ways that he's a bad man that are ways he would be exposed to knowledge in by being a woman. So well, what are those? Relating to a woman, relating to a child, uh, you know, relating to men in general. We, we picked those things, really. And we tried to give him a bit of an education in his private life with Jessica Lang, but also in the way he was treated as a woman on the set. Until then, Pollock was not known for comedy. His penchant was romantic drama, laced with a strong dose of melancholy. None of his films until then had enjoyed a happy ending, but curiously, all of them had made the studios a lot of money. Obviously, Pollock had a knack for making awkward material work, and one way he worked was by getting the stars to do exactly what he wanted. Pollock was known around Hollywood as the Lion Tamer, because of his ability to get even the most powerful of A-listers, Actors and actresses who were known to be hard to work with, I'm talking about Paul Newman, Faye Dunaway, Barbara Streisand, Robert Redford, Jane Fonda and Al Pacino, to get them to see the wisdom of his ways. So Pollock was used to getting his way. That was until he worked with Hoffman. Now Hoffman is a superb actor, but he is also incredibly difficult, and even more combative. And such were the confrontations between Hoffman and Pollock, that rumours were soon rebounding around Hollywood that the film was in all sorts of trouble, that the director and star had come to blows, that the movie was way behind schedule and way over budget. And worse, Hoffman, who had not worked since Kramer vs. Kramer, had just wasted three years of his life dressing up in drag. Why did Pollock argue so much with Hoffman? I think by now you know the answer, because he knew the idea was so good it needed improving. All of that Sturm und Drang is part and parcel of movie making. It's what happens when you have extremely talented artists who recognize, or at least sense, that they have something great within their grasp, and they understand that nothing less than their greatest effort will do the opportunity justice. It's what makes things great, and sometimes that greatness leads you to learn things that you may not otherwise realize. That certainly was the case for Hoffman, who, some 30 years after making the film, is still profoundly affected by the discovery he made about himself. I'd be on the set. A crew person came over and said, friends of mine are here. They don't know you're playing a woman. They actually want to see Jessica Lange, whatever. Can I introduce him and pretend like a Dorothy? And I did and got away with it. And they'd say, very nice to meet you, blah, 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 you know, New York, where's Jessica Lange? 
And I went home and I said to my wife, I can't believe that men are that callous. It's like a Venetian blind they close on me. They look at me and I, I disappear. I said, it's, it's awful to, to be treated that way, to be just erased. And I would discuss with my wife. I don't think I would have gotten married because the men I would have been attracted to would be men like me as a man. And me as a man would not be attracted to Dorothy. Let's face it, if such lessons were so easy, we'd all be very wise. But while Hoffman made that discovery about himself, I'd like to ask, what was the lesson for the audience? Everything else is just a facade hiding the real person. And the makers of Tootsie knew that to fight and argue and disagree and nudge and test and prod and probe was a good thing. None of them would budge. Instead, they would counterpunch and look for the weak spots in other arguments until everyone was so exhausted that whatever was left standing was the strongest idea and that was the one they went with. It's worth it because, you know what? When you see movies where the cast and crew just dial it in, you know you've been had. But when they struggle and sweat and shed tears and blood over a great idea, you know there's a good chance that you're watching a classic that will stand the test of time. Time.